You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing for Real Vision. I'm Max Wheaty. It's just after market close here in New York at 4 o'clock. I'll be talking with Ed Harrison today, but before that, we're going to go over to Peter Cooper for today's stories. Thanks, Max. Today, the ADP employment report was released, and it demonstrated the greatest slowdown in hiring since July. U.S. firms added a total of 307,000 jobs, seasonally adjusted, when the previous month's data was revised to 404,000 gain in employment. This number is well below an estimate of 475,000 from a survey of Dow Jones economists. This slowdown in overall hiring comes alongside some state and local governments enacting new restrictions on businesses as COVID-19 cases rise. Despite being one of the more sensitive industries to COVID-19 restrictions, leisure and hospitality led the report with 95,000 new jobs added. Tomorrow, the ISM Services Index comes out with new data, as well as the Market Services PMI, which will provide a better sense of where the services industry stands. However, with the accelerated spread of COVID-19 in the U.S., leisure and hospitality is a sector still at risk. Yesterday, according to the COVID tracking project, the U.S. reported 176,751 new cases and 2,473 new deaths. Currently, hospitalizations have reached 98,691 in total, about 19% of those being in the ICU. Across the pond, the U.K. is the first Western nation to grant emergency use authorization for the COVID-19 vaccine, developed by Pfizer and BioNTech SE and will be distributed within days to the most at-risk populations. The UK has ordered 40 million doses, which will be enough for 20 million people, with Health Secretary Matt Hancock announcing that they expect the initial 800,000 doses to arrive next week. He also expects that the majority of vaccinations will be available in the new year. The Food and Drug Administration in the U.S. will also be reviewing the vaccine with a panel of experts on December 10th to discuss emergency youth authorization where the FDA could authorize soon after. Pfizer has already been enacting on the distribution plan in order to be ready for when regulators provide their approval. Yesterday, President-elect Joe Biden formally announced his nominees for several different economic positions within his administration. During his announcement, he urged Congress to pass a coronavirus relief bill in the interim, and that a larger stimulus bill would be vital during his administration. For the Treasury Secretary nomination, he named the former Federal Reserve Chairwoman Janet Yellen, and for the Director of Office of Management and Budget, Nira Tandon, the head of the Think Tank Center of American Progress. Cecilia Rouse, a labor economist at Princeton, was named as the chairwoman of the Council of Economic Advisors. And Arewale Areyamo, who formerly served as a senior international economic advisor in the Obama administration, would serve as Ms. Yellen's top deputy at the Treasury Department. Jared Bernstein and Heather Bushi, who were Biden's campaign economic advisors, will serve as members of the CEA with Cecilia Rouge. Mr. Bernstein, Ms. Rouse, and Mr. Adeyamo have all played key roles in the aftermath of the great financial crisis during the Obama administration. And to break it all down for us, here we have Max and Ed. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. 
Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Thanks, Peter. Well, Ed, pleasure to do this again so soon after last week. Yeah, I'm excited. Good to have you on the uh, RVDB instead of the plus two where you've been hanging out most of the time. Yeah, well, it's good to, to spread me across each of the tiers. I'm excited to, to get to do this. Um, you know, we, we had some interesting data come out today, but there's bigger data later this week in terms of jobs. I know that that's a little bit of what we're going to be focused on. Um, before we talk about what's coming, uh, why don't you give us a taste of, of what happened and where we are? Yeah, so um, let me say that in my mind, as you say that, I'm thinking about what I wrote in credit write-downs earlier today and the data and also uh, what I was just talking about with Kevin. So let's kind of mix the two together, because I think the question is, is what does the economy look like over the near term? What does it look like over the, the long term? And then how does the market react, various markets to that? Kevin Muir, who I spoke to on RV Live, he talks a lot more about the markets and potentially looking through the near term data uh, and, 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 and what that means in terms of how you should be positioned. So that's kind of what's in my mind as we as we talk about this. But in terms of the data set, what I'm looking forward to, as opposed to the, uh, we can talk about the coronavirus stuff in a bit, but I'm actually looking specifically for coronavirus affected data from the jobs uh, data. So we got an ADP number, which th was 300,000 some, the lowest number that we've seen since July today. And that's, that's not a bad number. That's a pretty good number for the jobs. I mean, it's the lowest since July, but it's not terrible. 300,000 some jobs being created is okay. But then tomorrow we're gonna get the jobless claims number. And then on Friday, we're gonna get the jobs number. Jobs number is somewhat backward looking, just as ADP is, because the jobs number talks about a survey that was taken in the mid middle of the month. The jobless claims number is going to be more sort of what we're going to see right now. You know, the, that's how many people actually lost their jobs over the last week. So I'm looking at all three of these data points to be confirming a rollover. The 300,000 plus number from ADP today was a rollover, the meaning the economy is 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 rolling over, growth is is decelerating. Uh, then I want to see what happens with regard to jobless claims, which had gone down to the 700,000 level, are now moving up to the 800,000 level. Uh, and then I want to see what happens in terms of the jobs number. I think Ian Shepherdson of Pantheon, he came out with a number saying he actually expects a contraction, you know, a minus sign in front of the jobs number to the degree of 250,000. That's huge. If we get a number like that, that's going to be very bullish for bonds. I don't know what stocks would do as a result of that, but this is kind of where my, my, my head is right now. Yeah, I, I'm not quite sure what stocks are going to do either. Uh, I'm going to pull from my Real Vision Live uh, recent experience. With, I talked to Warren Pies yesterday. And we were talking about oil markets, and he was he's focused on a different data release. Uh, it's not really a data release, but decisions from OPEC. And he was really saying that you can get a lot of information for longer term actually out of that first day's response. And not what happens in the first hour, but what happens um, really as the day goes on. So I, I'm going to take that same sort of uh, – approach to looking at these data releases. And we will probably get a picture of how forward-looking the markets will be. Um, do you see any other um, 
do you think that we could get a fake out or, or do you look at the market response tomorrow as being a good indicator of how they will take this sort of data moving forward? It all depends on how bad the data are, right? Because the number, the ADP number, which is a 307,000 number plus 307, uh, it compares to 404 previous and 410 forecasts. So that we're, we're at a minus 100,000 about relative to where we were before and where people thought we were going to be on ADP. And then I'm looking at the numbers for the Dow. You know, Dow was up 60 points. That's 0.2 uh, percent. S&P up 0.2. Uh, NASDAQ down uh, 0.05. All day long, it was pretty much trading flat. There was no reaction whatsoever. So 100,000 miss on the ADP number is not a big deal. But if you get 100,000 miss on the ADP number, you get an 800 or 900,000 number, which I don't expect, by the way, because of the Thanksgiving uh, uh, holiday for the uh, initial claims number. And on top of that, you get, you know, what Ian Shepardson thinks is going to happen, a minus number for the jobs number on Friday, then the market should react to that. I think that the market will, particularly the bond market, will react to that number. And if it doesn't, then that tells you that uh, people are still in a very bullish mindset, a very look-through-the-data mindset. And when you say the bond market, why why do you think the bond? Why are you more certain about the bond market versus the equity market? And then, are is this going to be across the curve, or or really, you know, this is a shorter time frame thing? Is this going to happen? Going to focus really more on the front of the curve? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's because the bond market uh, generally looks at economic data on a macro level in a much more pure way. There are a lot of things that are going on with, with equities, and they're not necessarily playing off of the economic data. But the bonds, the bond market would be saying that we're going to be lower for longer, and so we're going to, we're going to flatten the yield curve, meaning that we're, we're penned at zero at the short end of the curve. And now that we got these terrible numbers, what it's telling us is that the, the, it's not looking as good as we thought. And therefore, yields have to be lower. And so people will bid the yields lower as a result of that. That's on the treasuries. You know, obviously, you could get a, a, a negative reaction in terms of uh, corporates, in terms of spreads there. But I'm talking purely about uh, risk-free assets. Okay. Um, and as far as you know, the the other implications of potentially negative data, you know, there's the the real economy aspect of it, not as much on the market side. Where do you think the the, the negative numbers that we could potentially see from jobs are becoming most? Is this small businesses? Are these the COVID lockdown sectors that we we've, we've all been talking about for a while? Airlines, hotels. Um, where is it going to come from? Yeah, so I think it's going to come from. Uh, exactly those sectors that you were talking about there. And, you know, I think the, the where I have to go is obviously to the COVID numbers. Uh, th that's what's important in terms of thinking about w what this really means for the economy. So let me see if I can pull this up while we're talking. So, you know, I was looking at the numbers and I was talking to Ash about this earlier. The, the long and short is that the Thanksgiving weekend, it, the numbers were kind of low. And the reason is, is because on weekends, numbers are low. And they're, they're low on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, or, or rather Saturday, Sunday, Monday, in terms of COVID, because there's less testing and also there's less reporting. So it, you get a spike up in the numbers, and then you come down, and then you go back up. So we over the Thanksgiving holidays, we got a low number. Um, 
every single day. It went as low as 800 deaths uh, for one particular day. The last number before uh, uh, it, st it, st it started to rise was 1,200 and some. Yesterday's number was 2,607 in terms of the deaths. That's uh, the highest number we've ever had in the United States was 2,752. So we're l literally right on the precipice of where we would be at the highest level in the United States. So the number that I'm looking at, just forgetting about this 2,600 number, because I think that that's artificially high because it's, it's catch up from the, the Thanksgiving period, is hospitalizations. Hospitalizations are at about 98,000, uh, 99,000, so almost 100,000. At, at the end of October, they were at 50,000, and they're going to go higher still, I predict, you know, within a week or two, we'll get to 110,000, given the numbers and how they've been increasing. It's a plus 32% 14-day change now. So conservatively, let's say it's 110,000. That's a number that is consistent with hospital overload. It's consistent with, uh, you know, across the board, more lockdowns. And so as a result of that, I believe what's going to happen is, is the rollover that we see in the data already in terms of jobless claims, ADP numbers, and probably in terms of the jobs number that we get on Friday, that's going to accelerate somewhat based on numbers that are uh, purely pre-Thanksgiving. Uh, this is not even including any sort of super spreader event on Thanksgiving. So the long and short is, is, is that we're going to have you know, a much more robust rollover in, in growth in the United States going forward. And that's baked into the cake already. Okay. Well, the one thing we haven't talked about is stimulus. Uh, the potential for stimulus, having read your, your note myself, I know that you think that the potential for stimulus before the inauguration is very low. I personally think that the lockdowns are extremely helpful for politicians when they are trying to push the stimulus. Because if we're going to uh -oh. tell you that you have to stay home, it's a lot easier to push through that spending because we're mandating that you stay home. So how do you think about the potential that lockdowns are coming uh, and that actually makes it a lot easier for politicians to push through that stimulus? Yeah, I mean, it's a very complicated situation from an economic, uh, from a, a policy perspective. I mean, let me just tell you before we even get into the whole stimulus debate, let's just say, I mean, this, I, I bucket it down into four different places where the pain will be felt. You know, first is a consumer pullback. I believe consumers pull back, you know, before actually uh, you get a pullback in terms of the, um, in terms of the government mandates. L let me just say, because you, you don't know this, but actually, I have no heat right now in my house because uh, it, it's a long story. But the control board of my um, my boiler broke, and and so the guy came over and he said, "We'll get you another one, but it won't be a day." So I went out to the mall earlier today to go and get a space heater to help tide over. Here, where I am right now, with this light in front of me, it's all good. But in the mall, it was a ghost town. Okay. No one was there. It was absolutely desolate. Uh, uh, it was terrible in terms of the restaurants, all the places that you were talking about earlier. They're just getting crushed. More so, by the way, than I would say it was a month ago. It's even worse now than it was a month ago. Why? Because people are already pulling back before. Then you add on top of that, you add in the government-mandated shutdowns or rollbacks. That's, that's uh, you know, cut number two to everything. 
The third problem comes with the job losses, the numbers that we, you and I were just talking about with regard to jobless claims, ADP number coming below. When people don't have a job, they don't spend. That's on top of people who do have jobs cutting back and on top of government mandated uh, rollbacks. So that's three cuts. And then you get to the government on top of that. So that's how I'm looking at the government. So when we talk about fiscal stimulus, you already have one, two, three happening before, and then we're getting into the government. And with the United States, we're talking about, uh, first of all, the government shutdown uh, to make sure that we get a budget by December 11th. We're talking about the uh, expiry of pandemic uh, unemployment assistance, where you have maybe 9 million people who are uh, involved with that, I believe is the number. Uh, don't quote me on that. And then we also have the eviction moratorium and the foreclosure moratorium. That's four different things. You could get those things to happen in January. You could get them to happen in December. It all depends. But right now we have a lame duck session. We have a a, a Democrat-controlled House of Representatives with Nancy Pelosi saying, we want the big number, and we we rejected your small uh, package earlier, but that was pre-election, so she might have been electioneering there. Uh, then you have the uh, Republican-controlled Senate. They wanted a small number. And then you have uh, the President of the United States, who has said, uh, and he's told Mitch McConnell, I'm not going to sign a big uh, a big bill. And these are all lame duck people. So it, it may be post-election, but it's it's also pre-new uh, configuration, uh, Georgia Senate race, et cetera. So all that's very complicated. What I'm hearing in D.C. is, is there's no overlap. The uh, You got the Democrats over here, you got the Republicans over here, and you have that massive space in between, and there's no overlap there. Someone's going to have to basically cave, and there's no sense that that's actually going to happen. So I think that the probability, if you had, if you asked me, you know, what's my base case? My base case is at most one out of four of those fiscal cliffs being resolved. The majority of the fiscal cliff not being resolved. That's my my uh, my base case. And how much of that is you know we talk about what's baked into the cake and what's not. How much of that is baked into the cake, and is the real surprise going to be actually resolving more of that and that being bullish for the market? I think it's not baked into the cake. I think what's baked into the cake is the concept that irrespective of whether it happens now or or in the future, it's going to happen. You know, if it doesn't happen in December, then it's going to happen in January, and that's all that matters. But from my perspective, there will be uh, permanent damage to the economy if it doesn't happen immediately. You know, the, all the companies that you're talking about, gyms, theaters, restaurants, retail establishments, they're going to get crushed, and, go, and many of them are going to go out of business, and that's going to be a permanent loss to income, and it's also going to be a permanent loss to uh, GDP. A perfect example of this is what's happening in the UK. A company that uh, is one of the high street uh, majors, Debenhams, uh, they went uh, bust. Now they're going into liquidation. Basically, every single Debenhams store on the high streets in the UK, they're going to uh, have a going out of business sale. All those jobs are going to be lost. That whole thing is going to go under, and that's the end. Next uh, UK establishment chain, Arcadia, they're going. They're going to go bust as well. They have. They already have. 
Will they go into liquidation? Maybe. These are the kinds of things that will happen in a negative scenario that have permanent damage uh, potentials. And it's very difficult to give stimulus to those individual companies. Are you going to give stimulus to you know Macy's? Uh, here, here you go, Macy's. We know that you were sort of you know uh, uh, go, swimming against the tide even before Corona, but we're going to give you you know a huge bailout. No, you're not going to do that. So those are going to be permanent losses, and that's not priced in. Okay, so obviously the you know uh, going bankrupt is is a very clear. Uh, example of permanence, but sometimes the permanent uh, damage will it'll take a while before you know the company actually goes bust. So how quickly will the market be able to recognize that permanent damage, and what are the sorts of data points that will come in that the market will then react to? Because as of right now, you seem very certain that this is going to happen. Clearly, it's not priced into the market. So what is going to be the thing that brings it back so that the market gets in line with that Harrison? Yeah, I think it will be the fiscal response. Uh, there are two things that I, I'm, I'm looking for. One is I'm looking for the jobs number. Uh, I don't. I, I'm not as bearish as Ian Shepherdson is on the jobs number. I'd be surprised if we got that negative print and a negative 250 print is huge, hugely negative. So that's number one. And I, as I was telling you, I think the uh, you know the bond markets will definitely react. It's we don't know if the equity markets would react to that. But then on top of that, if you get a government shutdown on December the 11th, that's a preview of what's going to happen, you know, with the pandemic unemployment assistance and the moratoria uh, later. Those two events coming together back to back, you know, uh, we're talking about the jobs number happening on December the 4th. And then exactly one week later, a shutdown of the government. Bang, you will get a reaction. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Okay. So I guess then the, the question for me from a market perspective is how, how do you go about? You know, how, how do you go about preparing for this? And having talked to Warren Pies yesterday, he talked about duration, the duration of different assets. And this this does feel like at least some of it is short duration. You're talking about permanent damage to the economy. How long of a duration is that damage going to be? And should investors be thinking about that? You know, Warren was saying crude oil, for instance, is the shortest duration asset. It's a real input. It cannot look past a quarter. It it doesn't matter whether demand is going to recover in, in two or three years. Oil prices are set based off what's happening right now. Other things, maybe not as much. Uh, maybe these retailers are shortening in duration as their cash crunch becomes more important. But what is the duration that investors need to be thinking about for this permanent damage? Yeah, that's a great question because this is where uh, Kevin Muir's interview comes into play. I thought it was very interesting what he was talking about. I'll tell you what I'm thinking is that first and foremost, and I've said this before, that you're talking about individual plays. That is, is that an active manager can benefit from this by saying, I'm not playing the index, but I do know that there are sectors of the economy that are going to underperform here. Those are the companies that are more leveraged. Those are the companies that uh, you know are also in these particular spaces. It's not priced in. So you can make a trade based upon that. However, uh, over the longer term, that is, if your time horizon is longer as it is with Kevin, he's saying the markets are looking through all of that. Let's take away these unique plays that we're talking about that are going to be damaged by permanently by what's happening right now. 
once we get to the other side of this particular event, uh, he's talking about massive fiscal stimulus. He's talking about you know financial repression where you have negative real rates, not just in the United States, but everywhere, Japan, Europe, United States, Canada, Australia, New Zealand. So all of these places, you know, pumping money like mad into the economy, both in the monetary and the fiscal side, and with places that I told you were a ghost town because everyone has the vaccine, suddenly pent up demand out the yin yang, people partying in the streets practically. He says that is going to give you a massive, massive uh, uptick in GDP growth. And that the markets are now looking through what's what I'm talking about and looking forward to that. And he believes that those uh, that that uptick is going to be even higher than is priced in by the markets. Uh, I'm not going to you know give you my view on that, uh, but I just want to put that out there. That's that gives you a sense when you talk about you know time frame duration, how to how to be thinking about this. Those are the parameters that that come into play. Yeah, I'm just thinking, you know, you have to, if you're an investor, you have to be thinking about what are the the types of assets right now that the market is looking at and saying, the the time frame that I care about is six months. Those are the things I think are most at risk of the scenario you're talking about. And then there are some things in the middle which maybe can be affected by that permanent damage, which are assets that are being looked at in the, the couple of year duration, one to three years. And then you have assets which are the traditional sort of uh, unlimited duration assets, which are the big tech, big growth names. And so if what you're talking about plays out, are we potentially going to go back to a world where this you know, lower growth and unlimited duration is really what investors are looking at? Um, or is it going to be somewhere in the middle, uh, somewhere a mix of, of what we saw before and what Kevin Muir is talking about looking at more cyclicals? Yeah. So I think that uh, Kevin makes a good case for uh, how it's going to be in terms of you know what the reaction is going to be when people come back. I'll give you an example. Uh, even though we're in this uh, this COVID spike period, I feel like uh, you know for nine months I've been in this you know a semi lockdown environment. I haven't gone back to New York during that time. I've been based out of D.C. the whole time. The beginning of the of uh, of the thing we had the lockdowns, and even after the lockdowns, you know I wasn't inviting anyone into my house. You know, the guy who luckily the guy was there to be able to fix my, uh, you know, to tell me that I, my my um, heat was was missing. Uh, but, you know, in May, I probably wouldn't have even invited him into the house. Uh, but now, you know, I'm, I'm back to that. Um, and, and so slowly, you know, I've become acclimated to how things are. Just uh, this weekend, I I booked a staycation at a hotel here in the in the D.C. area. I felt like, you know. Uh, I know relatively well how well their protocols are. Uh, I'm willing to to do this. There's, it's not a high risk in the sense that I'm going to be in my car. I'm not going to be, you know, uh, public transportation. I'm not going to be on the train or the plane. And then I'm just going to go to this hotel. You know, it's not that big a deal. This is me saying this in December pre-vaccine. So I'm actually spending money in a way that I wouldn't spend money before, and I'm telling you this during you know the so-called second wave and pre-vaccine. Think about what that looks like from a behavior perspective post-vaccine, and also uh, you know when you're not having a second wave. That's that's a lot of pent-up demand. So I have a tendency to look 
my my position is is that Kevin is directionally correct that you know the the initial uh, uh, wave is going to be really big and and then the question for you and me is uh, how much of that is a one time event pent up demand you know you're basically taking demand that was here and and you're putting it back in in here and that's it, it uh, you know demand is is static in certain ways going forward i think there is some sort of uh, holdover you know there's there is some sort of jump start that causes that to jump start the economy in a way that's very positive to cause the the, the gdp growth to have a, a step shift upwards so to a certain degree you could say i'm bullish uh, about the the post vaccine period well i guess the question is is the pricing going to be related to you know the solvency risk that we're seeing in this potentially hard winter, and will that provide some some opportunities to buy things that even if it is only a one-time demand, you're getting something at a discount because it was really solvency risk that was keeping it low, um, and and that that making it through in itself is going to to be enough to see rise in prices. Yeah, I think that, that that's right. You know, in the in those uh, sectors that you're talking about, as you were talking, I was just looking, uh, you know, online. Uh, I think I, I, I heard earlier today about a cruise line saying that they were canceling all their stuff uh, through uh, April. Here's Norwegian Cruise Lines announced the cancellation of all of its cruises from January 1st through February 28th and select cruises in March due to the pandemic. And you know, the other Caribbean, they've already canceled, Princess, they've canceled, et cetera, Carnival. Uh, you know, that's a stop. Those are companies that are pricing in, you know, some pretty horrific things. Potentially they could benefit uh, as a result of this. So that that's where the plays are from a rotation perspective. Kevin was talking about rotations outside of the United States. He was talking about rotations into, uh, energy uh, in particular, not energy as in oil itself, but energy companies. He was talking about rotation into small cap and away from uh, large cap. So those are the kinds of things that you could potentially see going forward. Having said all that, let me just say, since I'm a, uh, a credit guy, a bond guy, and I mentioned this to Kevin as well, uh, here's, a, here's a, uh, a tweet for you from Bloomberg. Japanese consumer lender, Elfo, sold bonds with the world's lowest coupon for a junk rated issuer this year as record low rates during the pandemic redefine what high yield means. And, and I'm looking at the chart and it's absolutely unbelievable. This is the lowest uh, rate you know, for an issuer ever. Uh, to me, that screams unsustainable. So the question is, uh, where are we in the cycle? Um, and I think that that's still out, uh, it's still not there yet. There was a note from Deutsche Bank, Jim Reed's Deutsche Bank, and he was looking at uh, the CAPE, you know, cyclically adjusted price earnings ratio. And the number now is is beyond where it was in the year 1929. Every single uh, place on the, the map over 120 years is below the CAPE that we have today, except during the bubble period in, uh, uh, you know, 2000 and so forth. So that's not a good level. Uh, and then you have to ask yourself, what, where are we in the cycle as a result of that? If you look at the Cape and you look at, as an example, uh, where we were in March, the March lows, 
the March lows were higher than any, you know, most uh, most levels throughout that 120 year period. What people will tell you, usually when you get a cyclical low, uh, you're usually at a lower point. Uh, you know, you revert, you go to the mean and then you go below. I'm telling you, we're above the mean, even at that low point. So again, where are we in the cycle? So for someone like me, who's a much more fundamental guy, a much more, you know, credit guy, I still see, uh, you know, a, a certain degree of disbelief that we can rally from these positions. I think my my gut is to say that everything is very expensive uh, and I find it hard to believe that we can we can rally from here. But when you look at it from an individual sector perspective, there is some rotation uh, that you can benefit from. And I think that's probably the the, the most that I'm, I'm willing to say from a, a market perspective. Yeah. And there's an argument to be made, which actually a commenter on our last uh, sit down last week made, which is things weren't so rosy even before COVID. We talk about the damage being done by COVID and you make the case that there will be some some permanent damage, but it's not like we were in a, a super high growth environment before that we just need to fix this COVID thing and we'll be right back to the booming growth that we saw at the end of 2020. So if we go back to pre-COVID levels, is it really even that great? Were things that rosy before we got there? And that's what you're talking about in terms of where are we in the cycle? Yeah. So I think- those are those are the really two big questions for once this all gets resolved is how much permanent damage is there and where are we in the cycle is this the end of the cycle or really just a maybe a pause a breath yeah i think uh, those are very fundamental questions because from a credit cycle perspective uh if we're still late cycle then that means there's a lot of damage to be done. And you know, from an alpha perspective, this is where you get crushed. This is where you, if you are you're on the right side of the trade, you generate the most alpha. If you're on the wrong side, you lose your job, you know, generate the, the least alpha. Um, it's, that's, that's how I'm thinking about it. Okay. Well, that about does it for me, Ed. Thank you so much for, for take, taking the time to speak with me today and, and let me uh, pick your brain. You bet. And let me say before we go that uh, I have this pitch uh, set up that, you know, we've been doing these Real Vision daily briefings all the time. Uh, people need to know that many of them are available on YouTube. You can see that if you're watching this on YouTube, know that there's a lot more to be offered, like the Kevin Muir interview that I just did. Uh, uh, $1 trials we're talking about uh, today. Uh, sign up. Take a look and see what we have, and uh, hopefully you'll like what you see. That's my pitch for those of you who are not behind the paywall. And for those of you that are in front of the paywall, thank you so much. We couldn't do it without you, and uh, we, we always look forward to your feedback and your comments. Uh, so, so thank you to everybody in front of the paywall also. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.